You are tuning in to Let's Talk Careers with Sarah. I am aired every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. In this show, I talk about career advancement, resume revamps, interview expectations, how to stand out from the crowd, how to brand yourself, and skills you need to become a CEO. All of this is on Armed Radio on my show, Let's Talk Careers with Sarah, exclusively on TuneIn Satellite and the Armed Radio Network. Hello, hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Careers with Sarah. I'm here every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Armed Radio Global. Today, I'm going to talk about four strategies to find a good job. And this is advice from job seekers with disabilities. So finding a job is hard. It's a hard work. Even though there are a lot of agencies out there that can provide help, it can still be a difficult process. The Institute of Community Inclusion, ICI, talked to adults with disabilities who used um, a state or local agency to find a job. ICI asked these individuals about their experience using an agency. ICI also asked them to explain other things that were helpful while they searched for a job. These 19 job seekers told ICI that the following strategies helped them to find jobs that they liked. So... The strategy number one is explore new opportunities. Exploring new opportunities meant being open to new ideas, being flexible in the type of jobs they wanted, and thinking that each new job was an opportunity to learn something new. It also meant being flexible about the way that they looked for jobs. Strategy number two, make sure services meet your needs. The job seekers in your study in, uh, in the study of the agencies for the ICI, um, knew that help they, what help they wanted from the, an agency. So this help could be either job listings or contacts to employers or some other kind of information. In addition, they made sure they got that help in a way that was useful to them. Strategy number three, use personal job search strategies. The job, search, the job seekers in our study searched for jobs either on their own or with the help of their family and friends. They also used more than one agency to meet their job search needs. And the last strategy, strategy number four, take control of your job search. Taking control mean, meant helping themselves and not only depending on help from agencies. It meant taking matters into their own hands instead of thinking that someone else knew what kind of a job they would like or should have. Taking control of their job search also meant being the leader as they searched for jobs. Using these strategies helped them when they were frustrated or disappointed during the job search. It helped them find jobs that they liked. It added to the help they got from their agency and allowed them to focus on their own goals and made them feel more in charge. So what does this mean for you? Did you know that even though you may be getting help from an agency to find a job, there are individual things you can do? Just like the people ICI interviewed, you can use these four strategies as you look for your job. Hopefully, these ideas will help you find a job you like in the same way they help the people ICI interviewed. What do we mean by an agency? There are many different types of agencies that help people with disabilities find jobs. These include both public, government, and private organizations that provide direct employment support. There are public government agencies specifically for people with disabilities. These include Department of Mental Retardation or Developmental Disabilities, in short, it's MR or DD, Mental Health or Vocational Rehabilitation, and agencies or commissions for the blind and visually impaired. Other agencies provide employment-related services to a variety of people, including people with disabilities but also other individuals as well. An example in each state, DANF, Temporary Assistance to Needy Families Agency. 
Private agencies are also called community rehabilitation providers, supported employment agencies, and private providers. Sometimes private agencies get funds to help people find jobs. In addition, there are one-stop career centers. There are not actually agencies, but instead consist consist of a variety of agencies and programs delivering services at one location. One stops have basic services that are available to anyone and other services you may be eligible for as well. One stops are operated by both government and private agencies. So let's dive into details about these four strategies. So strategy number one, as I said, explore new opportunities. There are many ways to explore new ideas as you look for a job. You may need to be a little creative and think about things in a different way to get the job you want. So here is what we mean. Try different job search strategies and don't wait for a job to come to you. For example, you can explore temporary work, find a temporary agency that can help match you with employers whose jobs you might like to explore, fill out applications at these agencies and talk to their staff about what you are looking for. This work can also let you explore a job by working at it for a short time. If you take a temporary assignment, you can get a taste of what it is like to do a particular kind of work and use a particular skill. Read the books, What Color Is Your Parachute? by Richard Nelson Bowlers or The Job Search Handbook for People with Disabilities by Daniel Ryan. The first is a very practical manual for people who are job hunting or thinking about changing their careers. It offers very good strategies, techniques, and useful exercises. The second is specifically for people with disabilities. Try volunteering. If you are volunteering, you are working without pay to help an organization. Look for volunteer opportunities that have to do with your skills and interests. Spend time as a volunteer to see whether you are interested enough to find paid work doing something similar. Learn about yourself. Think about your interests and the things you do well, your skills. This way you can be as clear as possible about the job you want. So ask yourself, what things do I know how to do? What things do I like to do? Where would I like to work? You can also fill out a prepared self-assessment exercise that that's in the book or on the web. These assessments are lists of statements or questions that will uncover your skills and interests. Some websites to explore are discoveryourpersonality.com, selfdirectedsearch.com, review.com forward slash career, and online.onecenter.org. This will be listed in the description if you are listening to a podcast while not on air. So you will be able to actually go and search them. Then learn your skills. Sometimes there are specific areas you might realize you need more skills in. You could take an adult education class in computers, business, or writing, for example, enroll at your community college, take a vocational technical course, set up an internship, then experiment with job shadowing. Job shadowing means watching someone at work to see if you could enjoy doing his or her job. As you observe a person at work, notice whether you think that person's duties and responsibilities fit with the kind of work you would like to do. Then consider all the possibilities. You may find something you have not done before, but that you may also really enjoy. And keep actively searching. Stay alert to type of jobs and places to work that look interesting to you. If you are unsatisfied in your current position, try looking for a job while you are still working. I'll give you a case study that somebody had actually utilized the strategy number one, explore new opportunities. Keisha's story. Keisha is a young woman with a physical disability who decided to get a new job. She called the Vocational Rehabilitation Agency for help. While looking for a job, she decided it was important to take some computer classes to gain more skills. She discussed this with her counselor, who was able to help. Together, they found a training program where Keisha could learn computer filing and phone answering skills. VR, that's a short term for a Vocational Rehabilitation Agency, also helped her with applications 
reviewed her resume, and arranged for job interviews. In the meantime, while Keisha was receiving help from her agency, she decided to volunteer at places where she thought she might enjoy working. Keisha had several volunteer opportunities, but it was the third one that offered great office experience. This volunteer opportunity eventually led to a job. So Keisha explored new opportunities. She decided to learn a new skill. She participated in a training program that increased her computer and office skills. This made her ready for a greater variety of office work. She kept her options open volunteering. She was willing to try anything. In Keisha's case, she this is how she got her permanent job. So as you see, the strategy number one really helped. Then we have strategy number two. Make sure services meet your needs. It is important to think about what you need and what your agency provides. Different agencies have different ways of helping. Some work one-on-one -on -one with you until you get a job. At others, you may look for a job more on your own. Either way, you have to make sure your agency is helpful to you. First, figure out what you need from your agency. Ask yourself the following questions. Do I know what type of job I'm looking for? Have I searched for a job before? Do I know how to search for a job? Do I know what kind of help I need in order to get that job? Then second, ask questions. Go to your agency with a list of questions to learn about the type of help the agency provides. For example, ask if they provide job training in computers, business, or whatever you specifically need. Training about finding a job. For example, this may include training on resume writing, interviewing, or using the web. A list of job openings, help defining your career goals, help looking for a job, support or help at the job once you get it, money to help with transportation, childcare, or other things you may need in order to work. What is informational interview? The goal of this type of interview is to learn about a type of job or certain company, not to get a job. Informational interviews are an excellent way to explore different interests and jobs while making new contacts. They are also easier to arrange because you only want a little, a little time to talk. And how to go about doing an informational interview? You only want to do an informational interview with the actual people who are doing the work that interests you. You can start by getting names of such workers from any personal or professional contact that you already have. Once you have the names, call them and ask for a chance to talk to them for 20 minutes. You should make a list ahead of time of all questions you want to you want answers to. So some questions might be, how did you get into this line of work? How did you get into these particular jobs? What things do you like most about this job? What things do you like least about this job? Who else doing this type of work? Who do you recommend that I talk to? So again, these questions are going to be in the description box. And if you feel that um, you don't know where to start, I believe LinkedIn will be the right place to start with collecting the contacts that you're interested in and then have the informational interview. Now, here's a case study of uh, Nina that utilized strategy two. Nina, a woman with a psychiatric disability, enjoyed working in the human services field. She was returning to work after a short period of unemployment. Nina went to the one-stop career center because she knew it had computers and fax machines and everything she would need to do professional job search. Nina knew that any time she wanted to use a computer or send out a resume, she would have access to that at the one-stop. Nina did not work with the staff that much because she already knew how to search for a job on her own. She didn't really use the agency's career counseling services because she knew the type of job she wanted. In the end, Nina got a position in the human services field where she's able to directly work with clients. Nina made sure services met her needs. She knew exactly what type of job she wanted and how to search for a job. 
that and she knew that in order to find her job she needed access to job listings and the equipment necessary such as computers and fax machines or um, to find a job this was Nina this is what Nina used to, uh, the agency for and she knew that she did not need help learning how to search for a job or career counseling support so she did not waste time with those services she made sure the services met her needs then we have strategy number three use personal jobs or strategies it is okay to look for a job on your own while you're getting help from an agency or from a coach it can keep you busy and help you find the best job so for example you can get help from family members and friends family members and friends are helpful because they know you very well in addition their job leads create new options for you that you might not hear from about your agency getting help from family members or friends can often lead to better jobs for you too so tell family members and friends about your skills and interests about jobs you might like to do and about places you would like to work and ask family and friends if they have any idea about what kind of work they would be good at that you would be good at they if they know of places that are hiring if they can refer you to people or places that could help you in your search if they can introduce you to anyone who works in the type of job jobs you are interested in and then do your own research you can always search for, for on your own while you get help from an agency you can do your own ser- research by walking around your neighborhood and asking about job information collecting application forms asking if anyone is hiring or writing down information on places that look interesting uh, by looking at the help wanted section on your newspaper by putting your resume if you have one on such websites like monster.com indeed.com careerbuilders.com and going on informational interviews use more than one agency getting help from more than one agency is good because one agency may not have all the services you are looking for the more you reach out to different agencies the more help you will have in your job search using just one agency might even cause some roadblocks during your job search for example one agency might not have all the resources you need might not might have a long waiting list for services while another may not remember however that the more agencies you use the more confusing it can get dealing with numerous counselors and agencies can be overwhelming be some to some people it takes responsibility on you to on your part to keep organized some people may like this responsibility and others may not so jorge jorge's story is a man jorge is a man who came to the u.s with his wife and children he has a visual disability and began working with the state's commission for the blind his counselor at the commission for the blind helped jorge get all the adaptive equipment he needed to find and keep a job jorge knew however that this counselor working alone would not find him a good job as quickly as he needed one he decided to look for jobs himself and follow any leads from other people he knew. He told all his family members, friends, and professional associates that he was looking for a job. His wife helped him uh, with his job search by following up with job listings in the, in the newspaper and on the internet. It was his wife who found out about the One Stop Career Center and told him to use it. When he went to the one stop, he discovered that it offered career counseling, workshops, and many different resources to look for jobs. Staff at the one stop helped him call companies, answer ads, prepare for interviews, and follow up with jobs. He also found out from his counselor at the Commission for the Blind that the two agencies could work together through a contract. He told each counselor about the steps he, he was taking to speed up his job search and kept track track of the help he was getting from one from each agency jorge found an office job in the field of his choice jorge used three personal job search strategies he did an own search he searched through newspapers knowing that he could look for a job along with his counselors 
got help from family and friends. He told all the people that he knew that he was looking for a job, increasing his chances of finding a job quicker. And he used more than one agency to help him find a job. He took advantage of the different resources that each agency had to offer, equipment and training from the Commission for the Blind, and applying for jobs more directly through the one stop. Then the last strategy is strategy number four, take control of your job search. Taking control of the job search means understanding that your success in finding a job is up to you. Avoid sitting back and waiting for someone else to do the work for you. Do your homework and you can find out more about the newest opportunities that are available. Even though other people can help you in reaching the goal, your goals, remember that ultimately they are your goals alone. So here are five steps to take doing the job search with an emphasis on making sure the plan is yours. Step one, step number one, write a personal vision statement. This will help you determine what type of job you want, your goals, and the steps you need to take to get your dream job. Answer the following questions and write a personal vision statement. What are my interests? What are my strengths? What skills would I like to use at my job? Where would I like to be working in one year? What do I dream of being in the future? What type of office would I like to work in? Fast, slow, paced, large, small. What other things about a job do I need to make me happy? Opportunity for advancement, medical benefits, access to public transportation. And then step number two. Develop a plan for achieving your goals. Make decisions and choices about what you will need to find your job. So ask yourself, in order to get my next job, what areas do I need training in? What do I need to help with? What do I need help with? And then we move on to step number three. Ask for input and support from others. You can support you can get support from people in your life or you can work with professionals such as vocational rehabilitation counselor or a career counselor. Divide out tasks to those who are involved in helping you. Step number four. Um, l l let's recap the step number three. Ask for input and support from others. You can get support from people in your life or you can work with professional such as vocational rehabilitation counselor or career counselor. Divide out tasks to those who are involved in helping you. Then, step number four, control and direct the services you receive. You should decide what type of services you need. You should also decide whether you want to receive services from. Tell uh, where you want to receive services from. Tell your counselor that what is important to you. But listen as the counselor gives you support, advice, or recommendations. Be open to listening or suggestions. But you should also make all the choices and decisions. Then step number five, learn about job opportunities that are out there by using the personal jobs or strategies um, I offered before. You can learn important information to find the right job. Also, exploring new opportunities will assist you in discovering ideas, types of jobs, and typos, types of strategies you may not have thought about before. All of this contributes to the control you will have over your job search. And if you don't take control of your job search, you run the risk of others making decisions for you. You sell yourself short by not learning the skills you need to find and keep a job. By taking control of your job search, the process becomes yours. In addition, it is more likely that the job you get will make you happy in the end. Communicating with your counselor. Talk to your counselor about your goals and needs. Tell him or her if you need more or less attention. Tell him or her if you need a different type of help completely. Make sure that you are not doing the same work as your counselor. 
it is important that you and your counselor are communicating and working toward the same goal without doing the same work twice. Now, now this information is uh, done with some agencies who collect information from people that are that use different state or local agencies to help them finding a job. And the people who participated in, in this study had uh, varying racial, ethnic backgrounds, ages, and educational backgrounds. They had a wide range of disabilities, including physical, cognitive, learning, psychiatric, and sensory impairments. Some of the adults lived in suburban locations, while others lived in the cities. So this is a valid information that I'm sharing you. So if you are disabled and you are thinking of finding a job, then you should reach out to me on Facebook, Let's Talk Careers with Sarah. And I will help you with in any way I can. I will, I will help you find the agency that can help you. I will. All this information will be in the description and also in my blog. So if you need more information, let me know. In the previous episode, I spoke about sugar grain process. The approach I used to create change in my career, as well as to guide mentees and clients. The essential idea is develop a vision of what you want next, and then commit to regularly doing little things that will move you in that direction. The things you do needn't be big. They can be as small as grains of sugar, but if you keep doing them at a regular pace, the process inevitably brings positive change. A while back, I received an email from Susan, a, a listener whom I have not met. She described herself as a woman in her 50s who wants to find a different kind of job while remaining in the same broad career field. This is what she wrote in the email. I'm physically fit and healthy and plan on working 8 to 10 more years. I want to get out of this environment, have a different set of responsibilities, and make more money. Can you advise me? Susan asked. Well, that was a big question. And if Susan were a coaching client, I'd start by asking her lots of questions in return. However, because an investment in coaching doesn't seem to be an option for Susan, I told her I take up the challenge of laying out a plan that could lead to her new job. If you want to stay in your field but find a different kind of job, get started one sugar grain of a time. Susan had no idea how to start her search for a different kind of job within her industry. I applied the sugar grain process and came up with this plan for launching her transition. The first one was write a big wish list. Start by listing everything you want in your next phase. Dream about what you would be great, not only in your job, but also in the rest of your life. Sometimes we start wishing for a career shift, but part of what we want may be available without a job change. For example, if you are bored or lonely, you might create a richer life by pursuing new interests in your free time. Or if you love your job but want more income, you might consider creating a side business. The next thing was organize your wish list. Break your list into categories within your new life. Think broadly and include headings like health and fitness or social life, as well as ideal job attributes. You are creating this larger vision partly because it will help you to see that not everything must be found through your work, but there may be exciting career benefits as well, because creating positive change in any part of your life can bring new energy to your job. I often see that when clients make progress in one area, like their fitness program, or their volunteer activity, it resonates in their work lives. 
The next there would be commit to regular cadence of sugar grains. Once you have your categories, start moving by doing little things, the tiny grains, to support each one. Decide how many grains you will undertake each week for each category. It's important to find a realistic pace and then stick with it faithfully. For example, you might decide that each week for the first two months, you will support your job search with three grains. The first week might include emailing to arrange a lunch date with a professional contact, spending 20 minutes doing research on the internet, and working on your resume for 30 minutes. Start exercising by walking for 20 minutes three times during the week. Take one social step, like making a phone call to arrange a future dinner with friends. Then, do research and notice trends while you have been busy in your day job. You may not even have tracking developments in your professional area. Your job-related greens should include looking around, identifying people who are making contributions, money, or headlines. Read everything you can. But don't stop there. Look for conferences and associations where you can learn from people working in fields not far removed from yours. Then network methodically. On your list of potential grains will be the names of people who might be willing to brainstorm with you. Include not only those who have you, you known well through the years, but also professional acquaintances who seem career savvy. Then work your list, set up coffee dates, or find other ways to visit with jobs about anybody who might be able to spot trends or suggest opportunities. Ask your contacts if they can suggest others who might be willing to talk with you. If people are too busy to help, they will let you know. And if they are willing to do that, to chat, know that someday you will be able to return the favor or pay it forward with another job seeker. Then, engage online. Social media is now playing a major role in the job search arena. Today's job seekers are disadvantaged, are at a disadvantage if they don't at least have profiles on LinkedIn.com. Twitter is also a tool that allows you to connect with recruiters and others you might not be able to reach by phone or email. Learn something new. Taking classes is an excellent way to pick up new skills and broaden your perspective. When you are engaged in learning, it helps you see your routine work in new ways and become more creative and certification earned. Through coursework can demonstrate your commitment to excellence. Enrolling in classes at a local college could have the additional benefit of broadening your network. But there is no nearby option. Exploit distance learning. On LinkedIn, there is a paid option for premium. And there have courses just about anything that you want to learn. Whether you want to learn leadership, whether you want to learn graphic design, whether you want to learn um, whatever, whatever field you want to learn, accounting, it's all there. They provide trainings and then they make you certify in your profile. So this is really amazing when recruiters are actually going to look out on your profile, they would see that you actually taken some courses on LinkedIn and you are being now certified. This means that you don't need to go to any school in order for you to get credits because LinkedIn has that option. It's called learning, learning um, primer account, premium account. Next, volunteer. If you want to build additional skills, look for ways to get new kinds of experience. A good starting point can be to join clubs or service organizations. Then the last thing you wanna do is find a buddy. Making a career shift can be a lonely process. Find a friend who is also engaged in reinvention. Meet regularly to share ideas, networks, and encouragement. You don't have to have similar careers. 
Somebody in a different line of work might offer a new way of looking at things. Now, all of this that I had suggested to Susan, I never heard back from Susan, but I have shared this plan with other, with other listeners and more than one has reported good results. Now, innovation often allows from collaboration, often flows from collaboration among people who have different views, backgrounds, and skill sets. Various teams are more likely to come up with something new than a group of professionals with similar backgrounds. When people are able to get along, diversity can give rise to startling creativity, and it can be deeply satisfied when you are part of a diverse team that clicks along. That clicks along. But it's not always easy to fit within a mixed team. One thing that can hold you back is a conversational style that other members find annoying. So here's a game to build awareness among members of the older sets. In today's workplace, one way that managers are learning to foster fresh thinking is by partnering 45 and older expert professionals with younger and more tech and social media savvy colleagues. Work teams cutting across generations have so much potential that it's a shame the trend isn't building even faster. However, one barrier to cooperation across the decades is that people of different ages sometimes communicate in dissimilar ways. Let's Let's face it, at times baby boomers and millennials find each other's conversation to be boring. Ageism seems to be on the rise and at work, the communication gap may have the most serious consequences for the boomers. People who are older than the group average can lose professional credibility if they indulge in tedious conversational patterns, whether they are speaking in meetings or doing a casual lunch. And if their co-workers see them as out of date, they could be excluded from the most interesting projects. Recently, a group of boomer friends were talking about the tedious chatter of age cohort. In particular, we all confess to occasionally indulging in prolonged accounts of our various aches and pains. We bore each other with this kind of talk and could drive a younger colleague out of the room. So, we invented Code Blue, a game that allows us to remind each other to avoid annoying old person talk. The goal of the game is gently cue friends to change gears when their speech is falling into a geezer pattern. The primary rule is that reminders must be offered in spirit of kindness and only to willing players. To play the game when the occasion arises, you quietly mention one of three applicable warning codes. Code blue for blue hair is our signal to end a stream of complaints about the speaker's less than perfect physical condition. I'm not talking about interrupting a serious talk about health challenges with a dear friend. Rather, the idea is to help each other resist the temptation to complain about our sore backs in any setting where the conversation would be better focused on something else. If you want to play, empower your colleagues or or partner to give you a gentle cold blue reminder should you start to rant about the state of your body. Code green is a signal I invented while eavesdropping on the next table of a local bistro. There, a, a prosperous-looking young couple was buying dinner for the man's mother, a woman in her 60s or older. Instead of expressing appreciation for the great choices, mom embarrassed her son by going through the menu loudly complaining about the current cost of restaurant food. When the waiter took her order, she said, well, what I really want is the swordfish, but I never let him pay that much, so bring me the pasta. The son seemed mortified, and adjoining diners were rolling their eyes. This can happen in many different discussions about how much things cost today, including a business context. So when your office pal once again wastes time with the discovery that prices have gone up since 1995, offer the gentle reminder, code green. 
Next one is code golden harvest. It's used when people interrupt a discussion about a current topic with yet another story of what is like back in the day. Golden harvest was a wildly popular color for appliances and decor from the 60s into the 80s. But there's a reason people stopped using that shade. They were all still tired of it. If you are frequently tempted to reminisce when the future thinking is what's needed, let your closest colleague know that it's okay to sometimes whisper, code golden harvest. Be aware of your speech habits. Whatever your age, older people aren't the only ones in danger of undercutting their professional brands with annoying talk. Individuals of all ages may make themselves unpopular by speaking way too much about topics not of interest to their audience, and even individuals with interesting content can model their messages with tedious or confusing speech patterns. Recent college graduates can sometimes drive co-workers to distraction with up-talking. You are an up-talker if you tend to end your statement with upward inflections, making them sound like questions. It's a babyish habit that you can change of meaning of a sentence and make you sound timid. We must add to the list of poor communicators anyone who indulges in too much profanity within a culture that values polite speech. And then there are the whiners. They will never make it into the inner circle of a team that values a positive attitude. Finally, if you uh, break up your uh sentences with, you know, too many little um ticks, your points may not be heard. We tend not to notice our own speech patterns and may not be aware when they are inferring with our ability to be clear or connect with others. If you have doubts about how your talking comes across, ask friends to listen to you, to you carefully and report on what they hear or record your, ne- your next speech. Find a way to explore questions like this. Do I use the same words or phrases like awesome or am I right over and over? Is there anything about my tone that seems grating or difficult to make out? Do I take too long to make my point, sometimes arguing my case even after I won? Do I speak so fast that some people may have trouble understanding? Do I weaken the impact of my points with tentative preliminary phrasing like I'm not sure, but I think that. Do I constantly say I, no matter what topic is under discussion? If other people are bored, annoyed, or confused by the way you talk, they may tune you out. Make an effort to be aware of your speech habits, but be clear about the conversational style you would like to have as part of your personal brand. Now, let's talk about uh, the schedules. Do you feel overwhelmed by having too much to do in too little time? If you want to accomplish more without spending longer at your desk or laptop, you may need a better way to manage your schedule. But it's difficult to rethink how you keep your calendar if everything just feels like a blur. To revise the way you manage your calendar, begin an assessment of exactly what you are doing with all of those hours at work. To get a more accurate look at how you are employing your time, keep a detail log for a week or two. Throughout each day, record what you do and how many minutes you spend on each activity. When you study your log, you may be surprised by how much of each week is devoted to things that don't really matter. Once you have a better handle on where your time is going, you can make adjustments to help you become more productive. Your calendar can become a more powerful tool for keeping you focused on your highest priorities and making good use of your energy as well as your time. These strategies can help you rethink your calendar. My client Gina is a successful executive who earns more money and makes bigger decisions than she ever dreamed possible. From 360 Review, interviews with several of her colleagues and clients, I know that she's widely seen as energetic, compassionate, and very smart. But Gina came to coaching coaching because she felt like her work life was out of control. 
She was spending long hours in the office, but she didn't feel efficient, and her backlog of work was growing. She often arrived late, late to meetings and worried constantly about forgetting something important. And she was troubled by a sense that she didn't have time to focus on the big challenges she saw down the road for her team. I asked Gina to take careful notes for just two weeks of how she actually employed her time in the office. As she reviewed her carefully kept log, she was startled by the true picture of her work patterns. She saw that she spent way too much time on how value email and she felt and she led she she spent too way too much time on low value email and she let herself be frequently hijacked from her planned activities. She would long been proud of her open door policy and reputation as a responsive colleague, but when she looked at how frequently she was interrupted, she understood the high cost. Gina was devoting relatively little attention to her most critical goals. She decided that a key to becoming more efficient and less stressed would be to change the way she approached her calendar. To begin, she talked about how Gina's work life is shaped by a complex pattern of commitment. As each day goes along, she continues to make promises and enter into agreement. On a typical day, she might say yes to several meetings, swear to make progress on a major project, and agree to review multiple drafts from anxious colleagues. She'd put the meetings on her calendar and maybe even black out time for her most pressing work. But then, all too often, her attention would be swept up by calls, visits from co-workers, and minor crises. She might go for hours without even glancing at her full calendar. The love helped Gina see how frequently she missed deadlines because she was ignoring her calendar. And she had an aha moment. She realized that every time she was late or a no-show, another person might be inconvenienced or disappointed. She said, I finally understood the one reason I felt so anxious is that I was going through life letting people down. Gina decided to get serious about treating her calendar as a primary tool for managing both her time and her commitments. During a period of several months, she gradually rebuilt some work habits, learned new scheduling techniques, and found ways to focus more attention on her highest priorities. On her highest priorities. Once she rebuilt her relationship with her calendar, Gina felt more in control and much less stressed. These scheduling tips were helpful to Gina as they may help you. Take time to plan. Look at your calendar first thing every morning and frequently throughout the day so that you can envision that what lies ahead. Complete necessary preparation for the next event and spot any problems. Notice the gaps between appointments and decide in advance how to use that available time to accomplish your most pressing tasks. Coordinate with your to-do list. As you look at your task list, batch with similar kinds of actions items like phone calls or brief emails, then schedule blocks of time to work through each batch. For example, if you have to make a lot of phone calls, schedule one hour blocks for quickly getting through your call list. Match your calendar to your body clock. Many people find that they are more efficient at some times of the day than at others. Gina knew that her mind is sharpest in the morning and that she often feels too tired to think clearly by late afternoon. But she saw from her log that she often spent her morning hours answering routine emails, visiting with colleagues, and handling relatively simple administrative tasks. She would put off her most challenging and important work until the end of the day, often staying late into the night when she was too exhausted to think straight. So she reorganized her routine to dedicate more of her high-quality morning hours to her top projects. Several days a week, she would close her door and ignore email for a couple of hours. She said the new practice changed her life. Push for shorter meetings. Would you have more time for your top projects if you didn't have to go to so many meetings? Chances are that some of your regular meetings take longer than they should, 
And if you are frustrated by the wasted time, other participants probably are as well. So, even if you aren't chairperson, you may be able to convince your colleagues to experiment with quicker meetings. For example, if a meeting normally takes an hour, propose restructuring so it lasts only 45 minutes. Resist distraction. Once your plan for the day is in place, your next big challenge may be to avoid being hijacked by phone calls, emails, visitors, and your own compulsion to multitask. To be more efficient, you may need to overcome old habits like checking emails every 10 minutes or answering the phone every time it rings. Your log will help you notice where your plans tend to go awry. Sometimes honoring your commitments means learning how to fight off other requests and temptations. Renegotiate your schedule as you go along. The demands you face change constantly and life goes and life does get in the way of your carefully planned agenda. Your goal is to not to be a slave to your calendar, but rather to be impeccable in the way you use you use it to manage your commitments. When you are faced with an unexpected, you can often renegotiate dates and deadlines. Gina found life to be less stressful once she learned to anticipate scheduling problems and work out alternative plans. Align your time and priorities. Your well-kept calendar can provide a clear picture of where your time goes. As you look at it regularly, ask whether the distribution of your time is consistent with your priorities. Is most of your time going to your most important activities? Are you saying yes to requests when your list of current app objectives suggests that you should decline? And are you building in time for things that really matter to you personally, such as working out at a gym and other ways to take care of yourself? As you schedule, remember to honor not only the promises you make to other people, but also the commitments you make to yourself. Say no. A chunk of your day may be devoted to activities that feel urgent, but aren't really very important. Maybe you agree to attend meetings or undertake projects, not because they matter to you, but because you want to be nice, because you like to avoid conflict, or because yes, it's just your knee-jerk response. If so, you should probably get better at saying no. And saying no gets easier with practice as you find ways to tactfully decline proposals and opportunities that aren't consistent with your priorities. One useful technique is to pause before you say yes in order to ask yourself what you will give up if you don't say no. For example, if a coworker invites you to a meeting that sounds kind of interesting, hesitate before saying okay and think about what else you could do with that hour. Please rate this podcast and let me know what you think about this episode in the review.